Icon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. And uh, for real this time, uh, Heather's here with I am. us. Yes, I'm back. Um, and today we are looking at uh, a movie that you chose, Sleepy Hollow from 1999. Yes. Um, so I guess I'll do the uh, basic facts so this came out in 1999 it was directed by tim burton it was written by andrew kevin walker who i looked him up he's interesting he also wrote another classic movie from the 90s uh seven seven uh, david fincher his movie i love that movie um which is another movie that has it's a mystery story and it has like a really really high quality script and then he wrote like a very little else like he's he kind of has had no career to speak of since then Mm. Um, so interesting. Uh, so, but he wrote it based on the classic Washington Irving short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, the film stars Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci with a host of iconic actors like Christopher Lee, Michael Gambon, Miranda Richardson, Christopher Walken, Michael Goff, and Ian McDermott, among others. And it features a musical score by Danny Elfman. So. Uh, let's jump into a quick plot summary here. Uh, and I should say this is a mystery story. So watch out for spoilers throughout our podcast. It's a good idea to go watch the movie first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the year is 1799 and Ichabod Crane is a police detective in New York City. His ahead of their time sleuthing techniques annoy his superiors. So they assign him to investigate a string of murders in remote Sleepy Hollow. On his arrival, Ichabod learns that the locals believe the Headless Horseman, the vengeful spirit of a Hessian mercenary killed during the Revolutionary War, is responsible for the killings, as each victim was decapitated and the head removed to parts unknown. At first, Ichabod insists on finding a natural explanation for the events, but after witnessing an attack by the Headless Horseman himself, he comes to believe the fiend is being used by a sorcerer to get rid of inconvenient people for some earthly reason. In the course of his investigation, Ichabod meets the wealthy landowner Baltus Van Tassel, his wife Mary, and fetching daughter Katrina, a romantic rival for Katrina's heart in the handsome and athletic Brahm, and a variety of other possible suspects. With the help of an orphan boy named Masbeth, Ichabod ultimately overcomes his natural timidity and solves the mystery of Sleepy Hollow. Okay, so um, I take it that this is kind of a personal favorite of yours. Yes, absolutely. Where would you, where would you put this in in Tim Burton's overall oeuvre? Like, where are you on Tim Burton, and and where does this sort of fit into his his body of work? Well, I'm a big Tim Burton fan in general. Um, this is a really tough question because there's like, there's a few up there that are, uh, it's a really tough contest for me. I, I, I really, mm, my top two are this one, Sleepy Hollow and Batman Returns. Wow. Like, I, I don't think I could pick between the two of those like i love them so much and then a close third would be beetlejuice so i mm, i i feel like this one might be my favorite though hmm interesting yeah 
I, I also like this movie and I like Tim Burton in general, but I wouldn't say this is like his one of his best for me. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't even say it's his best horror movie. I, I prefer Sweeney Todd. To I this. know you love Sweeney Todd. I know I this. do really like. I Sweeney was gonna Todd. say I'm. I already know which one is your favorite. Yeah, but I don't know. I think. Things like Beetlejuice uh, and Ed Wood have more character to them. Uh, this one feels, I mean, it does feel Tim Burton-y. Like, you do have, you know, certain things that uh, sort of obviously mark this as a Tim Burton film. Like, the witch when her eyes all bug out mm-hmm. of her head, like Large Marge. Um, and the... Uh, what would you even call it? Like microscope goggles yes. that that uh, Johnny Depp puts on at one point that are sort of obviously the kind of contraption that you would see in a Tim Burton film. Uh, so there are certain things, uh, but I don't know. It feels a little less personal to me. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I I just really think that it's beautifully done. I love the vibe. You know, like how some movies just have like a really strong vibe. <coughs> Maybe you don't know what I mean. Well, sure. I guess like the the emotional tone of the film. That and just like this very like dreamy, like fog and mm-hmm. like the the flashbacks and it's all very like beautiful to me. Like I just really like its color scheme and the fashion and it's i guess it's another visual thing for me right yeah and well i I would agree with that i think the the colors are one of the things that's most interesting about the film because it has this very sort of desaturated color palette Mm -hmm. except for the red of the blood like certain things like the blood are like very vivid and bright Mm -hmm. it almost makes me like think of like Sin City and mm-hmm. you know like the way that in the mid 2000s a lot of filmmakers got real experimental with like doing this thing where you have this sharp contrast between most of the picture being desaturated and then certain elements really being uh, bright and colorful. I really like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh Tim Burton talks uh when it comes to this movie, he usually says he was trying to emulate the Hammer horror movies from the 50s and 60s. Do you know those at all? No. Hmm. Yeah, so those are also, like, you talked about, like, the fog and, like, the um, the sort of countryside setting, the period costumes and all that sort of stuff. That's all, like, very, very much, I think, hearkening back to the Hammer movies, like Horror of Dracula and The Curse of Frankenstein. Um, and then, of course, he brought some of the actors from those. So Christopher mm, Lee mm-hmm. it plays a bit part in the very beginning. And then uh, Michael Goff was, uh, he was Jonathan Harker in the oh. Hammer Dracula film. Okay. And he was a much younger man. And I have to say a much poorer actor. That, uh, his acting in that is pretty wooden. Mm. Um, so... I think that's cool. Uh, you know, Tim Burton is somebody who's obviously his visual style and his sensibility, and we've talked about this before, is like very much informed by 
horror, especially uh, like German Expressionism and the, the Universal classic movies and then stuff like the Hammer movies from the 50s. Uh, but he rarely actually does a horror movie. So it's kind of cool to see what he would actually do with a horror movie as opposed to a romance or a comedy that just has some horror elements like Beetlejuice or, um, you know, a Nightmare Before Christmas. Although that's not, he didn't direct that, but that also has that sensibility. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought, like, I'm surprised you let me pick this movie. Because I'm such a meanie? No, like, it's not super... Like, I... Even I have trouble considering this a horror film. Hmm. It's not very horror-y. Like, there's some horror elements, but it's... I, I'm surprised I got away with it, honestly. I wasn't going to look a gift horse in the mouth, but, you know, I... It's not scary at all. Yeah, you know, I was kind of, I, I was thinking something similar, and I, I was kind of trying to figure out how to put that, put it into the form of a question. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do think this is a horror movie, and in fact, it has some pretty messed up stuff in there. Like it doesn't <laughs> shy away from some yes, really okay, yes, disturbing stuff. Um, and and it's pretty gory too we have people getting splattered with blood especially johnny depp in several scenes yeah Um, and and it's yeah so it's very violent and gory and and it has disturbing things happen but i agree with you that the effect is not uh really of fear um i could see like someone if you saw this as a kid being really scared by it. I definitely saw bits and pieces of it as a kid and was traumatized. Like, I was like, that's, I, you know, like, I was hiding, like, hiding behind a pillow. I was like, oh, I never want to see that movie. And then when I was older, like, in high school, someone convinced me to watch it, and I was just enamored with it, just completely, and was actually laughing hysterically. At some parts, there were parts of this movie that I would rewind like a thousand times and laugh and laugh and laugh. So, you know, it was a complete 180 from when I was a kid. And, and you know, I was, ugh, I was like, that is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. You know, so, yeah, I, I get it. But overall, it's really not. You know, it's not it's not so bad. Yeah, like it, I think it is sort of a horror comedy in that it's it's balancing those moments of disturbing stuff with a lot of humor. Um, are there any particular like funny moments? Like, what what would you be rewinding? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's really hard to explain, but there's this part where. The Hessian, it's like in. He just makes this face where he goes ah, and it's just like really, really funny. Like, like I said, it's really hard to explain, but he like. It's like when he gets stabbed, he like makes this face and does this noise that just, I for some reason I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. So there's that, I and see. and I think that Johnny Depp's portrayal of Ichabod is just 
it's just pure joy. It's just, I just love him. This is my favorite Johnny Depp role. I love, I love it. I, yeah, yeah, he does such a good job. I like, yeah, I like um the moments where he uh kind of is asked to explain himself and he just kind of fails. Mm-hmm. Like when he's telling the townspeople who've gathered around the body uh that they shouldn't have moved the body and and they say well why not he says uh because (laughs) that's that's the extent of his explanation there he has a lot of those sort of moments where he's he's not a particularly um articulate yeah he's he's awkward and it's very endearing and i just i really like his being the hero of this story because he's not like the typical hero type. He's got like some anxiety problems. He's got like PTSD. Um, he's awkward. He's very nervous about the whole situation. Um, he mm-hmm. keeps fainting. You know, like it, I just love it. It's different and it's it's interesting. And you know, we've talked about like micro acting before. And, like, this is such a good example of that. Like, his little facial expressions and the way he looks at people and, like, you know, just the different expressions that he makes about stuff. Like, he doesn't have to say anything in a scene and does this incredible job of making... Like, you can read what he's thinking, what's going on in his head, and he's doing such a good job. I just love it. Yeah, I like that, too. Um, I like the part where um, he goes into the witch's cave and mm-hmm. he's, he like holds the little kid in front of him like a human shield. Um, that yeah. always cracks me up. Yeah. It's such a, I love this movie so much. Uh, so supposedly the original screenplay by Walker was fiddled with and touched up uh, partly by an uncredited Tom Stoppard, the playwright who wrote Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and he wrote a lot of a lot of stuff, um, along with other people, to make it less gruesome. Mm. After the studio decided the original idea of a bloody slasher film for, version of the story wouldn't work. Mm. Um, so, what do you think about the level of gore and violence in the film? Is it too extreme or too tame? Like, how how does the the sort of violence work for the movie? I think it's perfectly balanced. I think it's just enough where you're kind of going, ugh, but like in a funny way, you know? You're kind of just like, oh, God. You know, you're not like actually scared. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't distract too much. It's It doesn't feel like so over the top that it's stupid. I mean, I know that it is kind of funny, but it's not like, you know hokey i guess mm-hmm. I, I think they did a really good job yeah you know i, I think there might part of the problem of this not being that scary might just be that getting your head cut off is kind of just like an inherently funny thing to happen yeah you know like it's 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 gruesome but it's also kind of goofy to have you know have somebody's head rolling around like a like a football mm-hmm um and uh but they find ways to like the the scene that i that i find really disturbing is where there's like the little kid hiding under the floor oh yeah and 
he sees his his yeah. mom get her head cut off and the head rolls on the ground and, and then the eyes are looking through the slats so he can see her looking down at him. I would say if there's one thing about this movie I would change, I would take out that entire scene. I would mm. take out the murder of that family. That's the only thing that takes that's like, you know, we could have done without that. That's too dark, I think. Yeah, I would say that's probably my favorite. Of fucking scene. course it is. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like the yeah, that's the part that's and then I guess, you know, the idea we don't see it, but the idea that he gave a cesarean section to the other woman so that he could decapitate the fetus as well um, is also pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think you do kind of need some moments in which the, the violence is taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just having it be a gag, like the the blood spraying into Johnny Depp's face and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What about the what about the screenplay? What about the the mystery plot? Um, did you enjoy the mystery plot? Did you feel like the solution makes sense? Um. Yeah, I like that aspect to it. I do. I think there's a lot of red herrings and a lot of really good misdirects, and I think it's a good aspect of the film. Yeah. I guess as with a lot of mystery plots, I tend to uh, kind of forget the details the further I get away from watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um Which is it's kind of good, because then when I rewatch it, I'm surprised all over again. Right. But um I I I do like the way that I think it is cleverly written where there are all these clues and things that are set up like the killer doesn't completely come out of nowhere and um you know I like that for instance she turns out to be one of the little girls in mm-hmm. the story of the headless horseman who cracks the twig Mm -hmm. and gets him caught and the other little girl turns out to be the 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 good witch who lives in the um hole in the ground Mm -hmm. um whose face was not revealed because they're like twins so it would give it away that it's the same actor right um so there's stuff like that that i they enjoy they set up the fact that like ian mcdermott is engaging in some kind of adulterous affair like right in the very first shot of mm-hmm. of uh Johnny Depp walking into the Van Tassel residence he sees him outside of the doorway um with some wench and and so there's stuff like that that is set up way ahead of time so it is sort of this clockwork thing that that I can appreciate um but I do have a question so it turns out that the person wielding the headless horseman to kill all these people is Baltus Van Tassel's wife, Mary. Mm-hmm. And she's doing it because she wants to inherit the Van Tassel estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's killing off, uh, well, people for various reasons. But near the end of the film, she kills 
Baltus himself, and she is trying to kill Katrina, Baltus's daughter, because that she would inherit the estate. Mary will inherit only if Katrina is also dead. So my question then is why why would she then fake her own death? Because Mary, the way that Johnny Depp figures out that Mary is the killer is he goes and examines what was supposed to be Mary's corpse, which had been killed by the Headless Horseman. And he finds that the, um, the lacerations or whatever were done after... Well, she had like a cut on her hand. Yeah. And the cut was actually made after the body was dead. So it couldn't have been her body. But why would she want to fake her death in the first place if the entire point of this is so that she can claim the inheritance? You can't claim the inheritance if you're dead. I I have never thought about it, honestly. I, I guess I just figured she had some, like, important business to do and people would be looking for her. Otherwise, she just wanted to be off the grid for a while, so she had to fake her death. I, I don't know. But then if, if, at whatever point that she wants to come back and claim the inheritance, then she has to explain what was going on with that body that seemed to be her body. That's true. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that's kind of a little bit of a plot hole because they, you know, they, they, it was one of those red herring things where we, we wanted to take her out of the running for us but it doesn't really work in the story. Yeah. So, are you saying that I'm right and this isn't one of Tim Burton's <laughs> best movies? I'm saying you're right about this one thing, okay. but let's not get carried away. So, okay, so speaking of the, the villain of the film, who turns out to be Mary, um, we, this is kind of... Uh, our third movie this season that's about witches and witchcraft. Hmm. So I figured we should talk about that. Um, so we watched The Love Witch, where the titular character is a manipulative sociopath and murderer. Um, and then we watched Witchfinder General, where the so-called witches are really just innocent victims of a literal witch hunt. And now in Sleepy Hollow, I feel like we kind of have both sides we have witches as the innocent victims and we also have the witch as the persecutor and the villain because uh christina ricci's character is uh a uh uh what would you call this she's a sorceress who uses white magic mm -hmm. as opposed to the bad magic being used by her stepmother and johnny depp over the course of the film, he kind of has like these repressed childhood memories of what happened to his mother, who was also uh, a uh, somebody who practiced witchcraft, but in a nice way, and who was uh, put into an Iron Maiden and killed by Johnny Depp's father. Um, so, what what do you make of this, like? What does this film seem to be saying about witchcraft or religion or any of those sort of things? Uh, 
I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of witches in that story because Katrina's mother was also a witch, she said. Mm. And then yeah. there's Mary and her sister who are both witches and one seems to be good-ish and one's bad. So it's kind of um, hard to say because there's, there's just all kinds of them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure. I mean, I think we're supposed to uh, lean towards the fact that they're good. Um, I don't really, I don't know what he's trying to say about witches, cause or religion or whatever. Maybe it's just like everyone's walking their own path, and it doesn't matter what you believe, cause there's good people and there's bad people, and religion doesn't have anything to do with it. Maybe. I mean, Christianity seems to be depicted sort of only negatively in the in the form of uh, Ichabod's father. Mm-hmm. Like, we get this strong image of, like, the persecuting priest who tortures women and, and, and all that. So it's sort of bringing up that witchfinder general side of actual history. Although all of this is, like, way too late for there to actually be witches and witchcraft persecution and in New England, like, that was, like, a hundred years earlier at the latest. But whatever. Um, you know, it's a fictional movie. They can do what they want. But um, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that Johnny Depp has to... His sort of journey is from this... He starts off being this rationalist, right, where he believes, or or naturalist, where he believes in science and and rational stuff and he doesn't believe in any supernatural things and he ends up believing in those things and finding a way to combine that with rational deduction right he solves the mystery through his scientific methods in the end like the examination of the cut on the corpse's hand and all that um but it is he has to accept that the the story has this supernatural element um, but it interests me also that, like, I don't know, he, in making that journey from reason to faith, uh, it's not a religious faith, it seems. Like, it's a, it's a realization that the world has these irrational elements, but it's also a realization that his father, who was a Christian priest or preacher, was a monster. And we don't ever see, you know, Christianity come into the picture, right? Like nobody holds up a crucifix or to hold, you know, to stop. Well, you know, there actually is one scene that's like that. There's the scene where they're protected by the mm-hmm. the the confines of the church. The horseman cannot cross into the church. So what he does is he just picks up a, a wooden stake from the ground and and ties a rope around it and he throws it and impales the guy inside and drags him out Mm -hmm. so the the so we get that traditional you know uh dracula horror movie cliche of the the holy space or the holy object is protects you against the evil but only in a very limited way like it's the the cunning of the devil can easily go around the the per- seeming protection that's offered by faith. Mm. So I don't know. So it seems like we're 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 entering, we're leaving the world of 
rationality and entering the supernatural world, but it seems like a supernatural world where um, these elements only like exist on the negative side. Or I, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble articulating my thought here. Like it seems like there's a devil, but no god. <laughs> cool. Like the where does the the headless horseman go to? Like he goes, it seems, down into hell. Mm -hmm. Like that's where that tree seems to go. Right. So it seems like there's a hell, but we don't ever see like the other side of that. We don't see like the the heavenly world at all. Right. Although I guess you could say there's like the white magic, but it still kind of seems like creepy. Yeah. It's because they, they want it to be creepy up until the end, pretty much. That's true. There's this this cardinal, which is a kind of red bird mm -hmm. that shows up throughout the movie as a kind of motif. So what do you think is going on with that? I've never really thought about it. I, I guess I always thought of it as like a symbol for freedom. Yeah. I, I'm not good at metaphors, you know this, so I, mm, I've never really applied any kind of, like, more grand um, reason or symbolism there. What do you think it is? Yeah, well, I definitely think freedom is part of it because it, it appears often in the form of this little uh, child's toy which is a, a little token that is on a string that has the cardinal on one side and an empty cage on the other. And by, by twiddling the string, you flip it over and over, and it's like a, one of those flip books where you, you're, you see the, uh, the bird in the cage. So obviously that's like an image of like freedom versus imprisonment. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I think that's that's a really interesting image, and that idea uh, that the bird actually being in the cage is not real, like that's an illusion. Mm. Um, and but what what uh, Johnny Depp says about that when he's showing it, I think it's to uh, Katrina. Katrina. He says it is truth, but truth is not always appearance. Which is such a weird line to me. Like, you'd think what he would say is, it is how it appears, but appearance is not always truth. But okay. instead he says, it is truth, but truth is not always appearance. Hmm. So there is some truth to the, the fact that the bird is in the cage, even though appearance and truth don't always line up. Okay. So, I don't know. I think if I were to interpret that, I guess I would have to say there's an idea that we can be trapped because we think we're trapped. You know, like mm -hmm. the, the illusion sort of makes it true. Um, and uh, so maybe that's connected to... Uh, Ichabod's sort of journey over the course of the film of like uh, recognizing the the kinds of repressive structures that he's repressed right obviously his father 
imprisoning and torturing and killing his mother. Um, but he's also like a police detective. Mm-hmm. And we see the the first scene in the movie, um, or not, I guess not the first, the first scene is the guy getting his head cut off. But when we first meet Johnny Depp, he's in New York and we see what the New York police department looks like in 1799, according to this movie. And it looks a lot like a medieval dungeon. Uh, and uh, we see them bring in some guy that they've always obviously beaten up. And they, he says, okay, we'll put him in the cell. The cell is just like a, a grate in the ground that they open up and they just toss him in. and He seems to fall like an unknown amount of uh, distance until he hits the ground below. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we see Johnny Depp arguing in court with uh, the judge being Christopher Lee, uh, the the defendant is in like this Hannibal Lecter-esque like full body cage that's kind of kind of makes me think of the Iron Maiden. Like it's this form fitting uh, um, steel bars sort of cage that goes around his upright body and he's forced to stand there um and so there's all these ways in which and then and then john well i guess my point of describing all this is to say that johnny depps has he has this idea of like a more scientific and rational approach to policing than these uh sort of medieval screw heads that he's having to work with but the tools that he invents seem to be quite similar to these sorts of almost like medieval torture devices right like he has like these weird uh it looks like a uh david cronenberg version of like a scalpel or something he's got like some weird uh very overly complicated device with like a lot of sharp edges and things that seem to be used to poke or stab or something Hmm. that he uses for examining corpses and autopsies and things like that so it seems like i don't know he his his rationalism and uh method of deduction it seems to kind of embody the same kind of cold unfeeling uh repressiveness of his background with his father and maybe part of what's happening in the film is he learns to accept the existence of the supernatural and ultimately to fall in love with Katrina is that he's sort of realizing that he's sort of um, internalized that those kinds of structures. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I can see that. What do, what do you think about the, the bird and the cage and all that? Maybe it's like, um, you know, everyone or a lot of people or whatever, some people (laughs) are in a cage and sometimes it's literal and sometimes it's metaphorical. Hmm. So we're all in a cage of some kind. Yeah. Whether it be physical or mental. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's like a strong equation of like femininity and spirituality and sort of like a inherent uh expressiveness and need to be free Mm -hmm. like the women are the the people who are associated with the spiritual world in the film right all the all the sorcerers are are female Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I guess the the one who turns out to be evil, even she was just like the product of the persecution of that impulse, right? Because she's her whole thing is she's trying to get revenge because her mother was uh, persecuted for practicing witchcraft, and that's why. Um, she they lost everything, and the Van Tassels, I guess, are the ones who who got it, and so she's getting revenge on them for that. Right. It seems like I don't know true evil, and this is like a really common thing, right? But like the the true evil is when somebody who's like oppressed takes up arms and <laughs> tries to you know uh, give back as good as they got. There's a lot of villains that are like that, right? They're people who have some tragic backstory and they kind of turn that into this obsessive quest for revenge. Right. But in this case, it's sort of specifically the persecution of, of women in things like the, the witchcraft trials. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, like her, her revenge is like, it's so personal. Like she doesn't mind killing all kinds of innocent people including women and children um as part of her her revenge plot well i mean clearly there was something wrong with her to begin with because she like made a deal with satan when she was like what was she probably six you know what i mean like I think maybe she was already not playing with a full deck, so. Well, she's she's quite intelligent, but yes. I see what you mean, yeah. But... I mean the deck of sanity, not intelligence. Hmm. Yeah, well, and there's like, you know, there, there are these two little girls in that scene, and they're dressed identically, too, and so there's this very clean notion right of like these two identical girls and one is good and one is evil um there's a trope of like the evil twin right sure and and, um so that i guess just points in the direction of that evil or good is just some inherent quality that people have um i think we're she's clearly the one who snapped the twig yeah so yeah. she was just like, I'm gonna watch this dude die. Like, she just like didn't give a shit to be like, yeah, she came out of the womb bad. Mm-hmm. Which is great too, because then it means at the end, when the horseman gets turned against her, then he's getting revenge for that thing that we saw much earlier. Yep. So that's kind of n- nice and tidy as well. Mm-hmm. I do like Christopher Walken as the horseman, but I also feel like he's being underutilized, right? Because Christopher Walken is—he has such a wonderful way of speaking. Oh yeah, and he doesn't say anything in this movie, and he never gets to say a single line. Okay, but how but, ridiculous would it yeah. be if he did? First of all, he's got a mouthful of of shark teeth. It just wouldn't work. It just would be so stupid. Right. I mean, I'm saying you would have to put him in a different yeah, role yeah, to really yeah, yeah. use him fully. 
but um yeah how how do you feel about the the horseman as a villain like you've said that you don't think this is very scary is that partly due to the headless horseman just sort of being a maybe an inherently sort of silly villain i mean he doesn't he doesn't have a head on him most of most right. of the time um the the scenes that he has where he actually has a head are very like there's not very many um and i think like i said earlier on um that it was very he's very funny <laughs> i find i find him very funny in this role so i do i like him i don't think he's scary at all but i i love i love him as the villain in this movie yeah we should say it's um when you can't see his head that's not christopher walken that's actually ray park who's oh a, really yeah oh shit like martial arts uh, stuntman guy he was also darth maul in mm-hmm. star wars movies awesome um and i i do really enjoy the the combat scenes like where he and he fights uh brahm and ichabod at the same time yeah um i feel like you can really tell that this is a movie that came out after scream because scream which we'll probably have to do on this show eventually is uh one of the things that's cool about scream is the way that the the um killer is always bumbling like they they mock this in the scary movie uh movies um but you know he's uh he's chasing after you and he can trip and you can slam the door in his face and all this stuff and he'll get up and and try to get you but he's not like this like you know, uh, Michael Myers or, you know, the Terminator kind of thing where he slowly walks. So he's, he's trying to get you as good as he can, but I mean, he's wearing a mask and he can't, doesn't have very good peripheral vision. And so there's this sort of like almost uh, Charlie Chaplin-esque quality to the attack scenes that's very kinetic and energetic. And, you know, there's a lot of quick uh, action back and forth where he'll fall down, but then this happens, but then that, I mean, you know, it's sort of like a, it's a whole action scene as opposed to just him jumping out and stabbing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the headless horseman is, is like that too. He, he is completely invulnerable. He's not like stumbling around, but um, there are various ways of slowing him down temporarily. And he does sort of have to physically engage with his environment and with the, the characters in order to try to accomplish his goals. So, yeah, the fight choreography and, and that kind of stuff I thought was fun. Totally. I also like, I like Brom. Casper uh, Van Dien, I think, is like a good choice for that role. He was also in Starship Troopers. I've never seen it. Oh. Well, I don't know that he's been in that many other things, but he's good as like the, the hunky uh, foil to Ichabod. Yeah. And I do like that they managed to work in the sort of original version of the story where he uh, dresses up as the Headless Horseman and oh, throws yes. the pumpkin yes, at yes, Ichabod yes, yes, and yes, scares yes. him and all that. Like, they found a place for that fairly early on in the film to kind of... It gives us that 
thing that we remember, but it also kind of warns us that like, hey, we've just had this half an hour into the movie, so clearly we're going to go in a very different direction with the rest of it. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think about the special effects in the movie? Um, I feel like this was a really good era for special effects because they weren't trying too hard. Mm -hmm. You know, things well, seemed it just it was it was a good time for special effects. So I, I liked all of them in this movie. I think there are a few that are bad where the, the CGI is like, you know, it's very new. Um, Like when the Headless Horseman jumps back into the tree vagina and it sort of closes <laughs> itself. Um, That looked pretty uh questionable to me mm. but for the most part i like it you know and even like i think that when there are like unrealistic looking cgi effects in this like it it still kind of works because it doesn't need to be realistic mm -hmm. um and uh yeah i really i think like the the way the settings look like this was all filmed on sound stages like there was almost no location shooting and I think that they, they did a really good job, like making it look like period appropriate, but also it Tim Burtony, you know, kind of yes. has that expressionist flair to it. Oh, we didn't talk about the score yet. Oh shit! What do you think about uh, Danny Elfman's Perfect. score? Perfect, amazing, a hundred percent, loved it. Nine thumbs up. Mm. Ten out of ten on Yelp. Um, can't sing its praises high enough. I love it. I love Danny Elfman. I love this score. Love it. Hmm. Yeah, I also thought it was okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I I do I do like the score. Um, I'm gonna use it as like the intro and outro music for this Good. episode, so people will hear a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, it does have a lot of a lot of character to it. I mean. It's he he had very much had a style in this period, so it's it's very reminiscent of things like his score for Batman mm -hmm. and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know that's one thing. When we were gonna do this episode, I've seen this movie several times, but the at the time that we decided to do it, the most recent time I had watched this movie, that was kind of my main takeaway from the movie was that the score was too loud in the mix. Um, it was really distracting that last time that I saw it, um, that it, it just, you were always paying attention to the score and, and the dialogue seemed secondary. But then this, this time when I actually watched it for the episode, I didn't feel like that was the case. So I don't know if hmm. it was like the, the version of the movie that I watched was different or I was just in a different headspace or what. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, if you had asked me back then, I would have said that was, like, the main problem with the movie. I, f I found out why um, Helena Bonham Carter is not in this. Why? It's because he still had his, like, previous uh, long-term partner, who is actually in the movie. She plays uh, Ichabod's mother. Oh, really? Oh, because yeah. she's the one who played Vampira in Ed Wood. 
Ah. Yeah, she was in, yeah, she had like minor roles in all of his movies up to this point. Lisa Marie mm-hmm. is her name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, then he dumped her for Helena Bonham Carter. Mm. And she didn't work again for like another like 11 years. Oof. And she, uh, according to Wikipedia, in 2005, she held an auction of personal belongings that Burton had left behind at her house, much to his dismay. Ooh. <laughs> well. So it sounds like he kind of deserved it. Yeah. Though. I'm going to um, go with yes. But when she did start working again, she did a couple movies, and they were horror movies. So she was in Rob Zombie's The Lords of Salem, and she was in a movie called We Are Still Here, which I've seen in it, which is pretty good. Hmm. I mean, she's a knockout. Like, damn. Yes. Yeah, she's, I think, mostly like a model. Yeah. So. I can see that. Oh, this is an observation I... Uh, maybe I'll, I'm not even going to say that I'm going to go and put this in an earlier part of the pie. I'm too lazy. <laughs> um, but this is an observation I should have come up with back when we were talking about like the, the psycho- psychological and spiritual journey that Ichabod goes on. Is I think the, the flashbacks to his mother are kind of cool. Like the, yeah. the, the visual design of the house it's like it's it couldn't be a real place you know like it's it's so you know it's white but then the door is like blood red and like uh it 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 feels like a surrealist movie like i don't know a holy mountain or something um it it's it feels very dreamlike and unreal and then you know how how does her why does the the there why is there a whole room in the house dedicated to various torture instruments um because there's not yeah it's like yeah it's this it's this like weird fantasy realm Mm -hmm. that it takes place in and and i guess that's it's partly because he's remembering this what what it was like what it seemed like to him as a child um so everything that wasn't apparent to his consciousness has kind of been abstracted away. So you have like these huge sprawling scenes with almost nothing in them um, and all that. But it's, it also to me makes the, the mother and the father feel like, like mythical figures, you know, like this is almost like a, a story of uh, uh, what, like uh, two, gods who you know one killed the other and made the world out of her or something you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so I, i'm talking nonsense but it feels more like a mythical story or that that sort of explains elements of how the world is uh as opposed to something that really happened when he was a child and so i feel like i guess that's where i started to develop this idea that the mother kind of represents one side of his personality that's repressed and the father is like the repressive Mm. you know super rational side of him yeah that makes sense i feel like that's very true to like how dreams work you know like how your subconscious Mm. works it kind of just makes like a mishmash of things 
and just throws everything together into one space. Like, dreams are really hard to explain, you know? Things don't work the same in dreams that they do in real life, so... I feel like they did a really good job of portraying a dream space. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess Tim Burton movies are kind of like that too, right? Like, they kind of have this weird, like, dream logic to them. Mm-hmm. Where we accept all these elements that don't really make sense um because they make a kind of poetic sense right the one thing that i'll never accept though is that at the end of the year 1799 the turn of the year 1800 is the beginning of a new century yeah i didn't get that it is not what does that mean 1801 would be the beginning of the new century well i Okay. Because a century is just a hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to begin with the one and end on the 100. Yeah. But I guess I'll <laughs> just have to let that go, you know? It's, mm. it, it, it's in the movie. It is what it is. This is how most people think about years. Sorry, Kenny. But I expect more from Ichabod Crane. <laughs> Not my Ichabod Crane. <laughs> he should be. He should be as at least as anal as I am about things That's, like that. He, he should be. Yes. Uh, okay. So what we're doing for next time is we're gonna look at a super classic movie, 1979's Alien. Mm -hmm. So get ready for that. <laughs> I don't know, it has nothing to do with like witches or you know anything we've been talking who about. Who cares? Whose podcast is this? Yeah. Ours. Yeah, if you don't like it, get your own podcast, man. <laughs>